0: Good morning, it's certainly good to see more and more of you coming back uh, to worship with us both in the auditorium and here in the sanctuary. Continue to invite those who are watching online to continue to join and when you're ready to come on back and we have some seats available. We're continuing to uh, this sermon series called Mark My Words, words that Jesus spoke that have kind of move throughout society and words that we use phrases we use and today we're covering the subject blind leading the blind now two weeks ago Trevor and I preached uh, on the sermon topic wolves in sheep's clothing I preached in the auditorium and I shared with them that morning and since then that probably am I looking back on my ministry preaching ministry that that was one of the more timely messages that I've ever felt led to give. And talking about wolves that are dangerous, wolves that are deceptive, wolves that are about destruction, and they're very deliberate. And how to identify wolves in sheep's clothing within the church, within the body of Christ. As I think about this message, the blind leading the blind, and how those two uh, themes and topics intersect, the wolves in sheep's clothing, I believe, or the wolves are, are very malicious. They have uh, ulterior motives. And I would say that the blind leading the blind oftentimes are misguided leaders. I think that in this morning, in this room, there are very few, if any, wolves in sheep's clothing. But all of us have the capacity and the potential to be, have blind spots to be blind, the blind leading the blind. As I think about this Memorial Day, I wanna just pause and say that all the wars that have been fought have been fought because of the blind leading the blind or because of wolves and sheep's clothing that have made decisions that have led to conflict. And again, we wanna thank the men and women uh, who have served faithfully defending truth, defending freedom against blind leaders who will lead folks into a pit. So let's just have a moment of silence again for those men and women who have fought the good fight. And coming out of the silence of this moment I would say that maybe no other time in the history of our country are we under a great battle for religious freedom because there are indeed blind leading the blind to tear down the freedoms we enjoy to worship God freely. And we think of the blind leading the blind, we think of maybe the three blind mice, and as I began to look for that image online, I was amazed at all the different characters that were on the faces of those uh, uh, mice. And depending on your political persuasion, you could find any number of blind mice leading the blind. But I chose to be, uh, I chose not to get in the weeds and to give you innocuous blind leading the blind, but you fill in the blanks as you wish. So let me give you a definition of the blind leading the blind as a modern day idiom. Uh, it's used informally to describe a situation in which someone who is not sure about how to do something is helping another person who also is not sure about how to do it. The blind leading the blind. Somebody that doesn't have a clue trying to show somebody else that doesn't have a clue. The blind leading the blind. Now, in the passage that Jesus speaks to us this morning and where the, the, the phrase originates, blind leading the blind where Jesus spoke it in Matthew's gospel. If you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? After that, Pharisees and religious scholars came to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem, criticizing, "Why do you dis- why do you, your disciples play fast and loose with the rules?" And I'm reading from the message paraphrase in, in, in the NLT, it says violate the direct commandments of God. But Jesus put it right back on them. Why do you use your rules and play fast and loose with God's commands? The tradition of the elders. God clearly says, respect your father and mother and anyone denouncing father or mother should be killed. But you weasels, but you weasel around that by saying, whoever wants to to can say to father and mother, what I owed you, I've given to God. That can hardly be called respecting a parent. You cancel God's commands by your rules, frauds. Isaiah's prophecy of you hit the bullseye. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. And in the NLT, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. He then called the crowd together and said, listen, take this to heart. It is not what you swallow that pollutes your life, but what you vomit up. Later, his disciples came and told him, did you know, did you know how upset the Pharisees were when they heard what you said? Jesus shrugged it off. Every tree that wasn't planted by my father in heaven will be pulled up by its roots. Forget them, leave them. They are blind men leading blind men. When a blind man leads a blind man, they both end up in the ditch. Peter said, I don't get it. <laughs> Put it in plain language. The, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. You may be seated. Now, Father God, there are times that we don't get your word. We don't understand what Jesus is saying. So I pray that you would guide us this morning to hear your word, maybe for the very first time, to receive it into our hearts and allow your Holy Spirit to shape our thinking, to see clearly so that we would not be blinded, we would not be leaders that are blind leading the blind, and we would not be blind following leaders that are blind. So guide us now, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, what a challenge that Peter has issued to Jesus. I don't get it. Can you put it in plain language? There's no doubt this is a difficult passage. I was still trying to put it together this morning as far as how all this flows in regards to the Old Testament. And it's a difficult passage to to know what is going on here from the Old Testament plus the traditions and teachings of, of, of the Pharisees. Blindness can be a scary thing. Years ago, about, several, about four years ago, I was out in Wyoming on a mule deer hunt, and my friend Brian Palmera was leading us on horseback uh, down the side of a mountain uh, into, along the Shoshone River to where we were going to uh, reach our, our camp, etc. And as we're coming down the mountain, it got dark, and, uh, and, and his, Brian's horse name was Chance. It's an important name. And, uh, and so it's Brian and his pack mule and me, and we're riding out in the dark. And all of a sudden, um, or suddenly, it, 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 we, we were off the trail, and I was, riding, I was dodging branches and stuff like that, and Brian got stopped and it says, my, my horse got off the trail. Okay, so Brian, knowing the trail, got his horse back on the trail, and we go winding on down the trail. But it wasn't long till we were again running into branches, etc. And Brian said, kind of alarming to me, my horse has night blindness. <laughs> Chance had night blindness, right? So what do we do now, right? We, we, our, our lead horse can't see the trail. Well, Brian, being the, the guy that he is, reached into his backpack, had a heavy... Uh, headlamp, and he turned it on red, and with just enough light for chance to be able to see the trail, and we had a three-hour more three three hour ride back to where we're going in the dark. It was a scary time. Brian shared with me that the first time that happened to him, that he was riding his horse down the side of a mountain, like a switchback, and, and the horse got night blindness. He says, it was the most terrified I've ever been in my life. You see, Whenever we are following someone who is blind, they can lead us off a cliff. They can lead us not just off a ditch, into a ditch, but into a pit. That's actually the the original meaning here is pit, a cistern, a deep well. These men who are bringing these accusations against Jesus and his disciples are from Jerusalem. That means they're the experts. They're the best trained teachers in the land, And they come to challenge Jesus concerning the tradition of the elders, which are the oral law that has not yet been written down. It's been passed down word by word as tradition. And it won't be written down for another two centuries. These are extra biblical teachings. So a quick review to help you understand what I was trying to understand even earlier this morning. We start in the Old Testament with the 10 Commandments. And then throughout the first five books of the Old Testament, we call that the Pentateuch, there are about 613 laws that build a fence around the Ten Commandments. 613 laws in in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, et cetera, those first five books, so that the people of God would not break the Ten Commandments. And I believe all those Levitical laws and all the laws of the Old Testament are pointing us toward the Messiah, They're pointing us toward God's answer in Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, there are oral laws of the elders, customs, opinions, and teachings of Jewish leaders. Again, good intentions. They wanted to keep the Ten Commandments. And we know that not all the Pharisees were bad people. You got Joseph of Arimathea who gave his tomb up for Jesus to be buried there. You got Nicodemus who came and saw the light. But it was this mentality that if one rule is good, Two rules would be even better. You know, don't you do that sometimes whenever the Tylenol bottle says that you should take two? Well, four would be even better, right? And so we start doing things that maybe aren't the smartest things because two's good, four's better. And you know, like, for example, in the washing of hands that Jesus is talking about here, uh, the original law was you, you poured water and you let it run off your fingertips and you dipped your hand, but that wasn't quite good enough. Let's turn our hands this way And poor water sort of run down this way. You know, it got to be added more rules upon rules. As time went on, new laws for new situations. And the accountability that they had to God was replaced with accountability to people, to Pharisees who were watching everything they did. Nitpicking legalism became more important than people. And religion became more important than a relationship with God. And we need to be very careful about that that we don't strive to be religious that will replace a personal relationship with God. It became a burden instead of a blessing. For example, the Sabbath stopped being a welcome relief and became an unwelcome burden. And all these traditions, and and, and as they begin to add to these, some say up to 6,000 of them, they begin to drive people away from God. And Jesus rejected those oral traditions. Now, what he's really talking to about the Pharisees and calling them out on is, is how they twisted the truth about honoring mother and father. And, and, and they said that they, they, they invoked a tradition called Corban, K-O-R-B-A-N. And Corbin is whenever they could say, you know, the money that I'm supposed to use to take care of my elderly parents, I'm gonna dedicate it to God. I, I'm gonna dedicate it to the temple. And so when it comes time for me to take care of my parents, I don't have any money because my money's all dedicated to the temple. Now, it hasn't been given to the temple, it's just been designated to the temple. And so when when their parents would pass away, they would then come up with a new law that would free that money up for their own use, right? Now, as a parent who's getting older, I wanna make sure my kids understand this teaching, right? Because, you know, what do you mean you dedicated all your money to the church let's back up here um, you need to take care of that that's that's a basic command right honor your mother and your father. you see these traditions of men of of teachers began to be elevated to the status of scripture and we've got the same challenge today. people within the culture and people even within the church are elevating traditions, elevating their truth, their truth, not the truth, but their truth to become equal with the scripture. And these leaders were blind as they are today in many cases because they failed to understand the scriptures. They failed to follow Jesus and his clear teachings. And then most harsh here to Jesus saying is they lead people away from Jesus. They lead people away from Jesus. Today, there's a lot of blind people who are being led by blind leaders toward the pit. Watering down theology to emphasize maybe the love and mercy of God over the judgment of God. I mean, just a few minutes ago when you shared in the Apostles' Creed, you, you affirmed that you believe that there's a coming judgment. And so there's a balance between the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and the righteousness of God. And in today's world, we want to dismiss the righteousness of God and the judgment of God and elevate the love and mercy of God, which compromises uh, God's truth. And again, that's why Jesus goes to uh, Isaiah chapter 29. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, and they teach man-made ideas, man-made ideas as commands from God, whereas the message says they use me as cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. You know, saying and doing religious things does not mean your heart is right with God. Saying and doing religious things does not mean your heart is right with God. Paul said it this way in Romans 2.29: No, a real Jew is anyone whose heart is right with God. For he is looking for those with changed hearts and minds. When our life is being transformed, by the presence of God's power in our life. Now, we are guilty ourselves of, of starting traditions in the church. You know, for many years, as a young pastor, and I would go into the church on Sunday morning and we would be having Holy Communion in my previous church or here, and, and the communion table was always covered with the white cloth, right? Put a white cloth over the communion elements. I never understood why we did that. I thought it was some sort of holy thing, right? You had to have a white cloth over the elements. Like maybe it was, maybe it was resurrection. You pull the cloth off and bingo, you know? I didn't know. I mean, I, I read, I looked, I couldn't find anything. And then I finally found out why we put a white cloth over the communion elements. Because back in the day, that when we didn't have air conditioning, the windows of the church was open and the flies would come in and get on the elements. And so we would put a white cloth because it looked good over the elements because the flies would come. We don't have the windows open anymore. And I remember the freedom that came one Sunday morning when I realized we don't need this. You know, it, it, it's not important because let's show the elements when people walk in the door. But for years I had confused it with a tradition that I thought was somewhere biblical, but it wasn't at all, but it was a tradition. Whenever I was uh, a young Christian I uh, attended a Methodist church and I asked my Methodist pastor if he would immerse me. And so we had to go down to the church of Christ because Methodist, we don't have these pools, you know? And so, uh, uh, so I went down and, and I got immersed as a Methodist young believer in Jesus. Well, many of my friends ended up going to college. And so I met a young lady named Gloria and Gloria went to the Baptist church, Right. And so I started going to the Baptist church with Gloria, and then I wanted to join the Baptist church because Gloria went there, and and, and they talked about Jesus a lot. And so I was a little distracted, I admit that, but but I found out, I found out that in order to join the Baptist church, I had to be re-baptized because my my Methodist minister didn't count, you know, I had to get baptized by a Baptist pastor, so... So the young minister there was a neat guy. He 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 came to be a good friend of ours. Um, He said, I think that's kind of a archaic tradition. So let's go ahead and have you come forward on Sunday night and we'll vote on you and we'll slip it through, right? (laughs) So so here I am, 15 years old, you know, standing in front of the church and the pastor says he's been baptized by, by immersion. And so everything's good. They voted on me, I'm good, you know. Until Tuesday, right? Tuesday, I get a call from the pastor. He says, well, the deacons have called. And uh, they think that I have done something really wrong. And, uh, you know, we can fight this, but, you know, maybe you just ought to get re-baptized. <laughs> so I said, sure. So I'm good to go. You know, I'd be, I got immersed again. Uh, but the point was is I, I'm sure that God smiled at that, right, going, come on now. You know, I don't want to disrespect Baptists. I mean, my wife grew up Baptist, and I was a Baptist for a little period of time, um, uh, but, uh, but, you know, I know that God smiles at some of those traditions, right? Where we, we, have, we have kind of, you know, played a little loose with our interpretations. Again, um, I love my Baptist brothers and sisters. And uh, we're going to be baptizing by immersion a bunch of confirmands uh, in about two weeks. So we, we believe in doing that. Um, let me give you this quote here. In a, someone said, uh, I, for years I thought this was John Wesley, but it wasn't John Wesley. In essentials, unity. In essentials, unity. Now, there are essentials that are in Scripture. Biblical truth. This is essential. Whether or not we use a white cloth on the altar table is not an essential. I believe whether you get ba- immersed by a Baptist preacher or a Methodist preacher is a non essential. But the, th- this is essential. The truth of God's word is essential. In essentials, unity. In non essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. And in all things, we, we love each other. There are things that you and I are going to disagree with. In fact, in my 27 years, there's probably been quite a few things that we disagreed with. But we've had the, the grace and the mercy to have, 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 have liberty and charity in those things. Let me talk to you about the reality of blind spots. Because I think that's really what Jesus is talking about with the, with the Pharisees. He's not talking about physical blindness He's talking about spiritual blind blind spots. Let me give you this definition from John Maxwell. A blind spot is an area in the lives of people in which they continually do not see themselves or their situation realistically. A blind spot. That's a great definition. That's exactly where the Pharisees were, that they could not see themselves or their situation realistically. Now. We all have blind spots. You know that, right? And if you don't think you have a blind spot, that's your blind spot. Because we all have blind spots. We all have biased blind spots. We have a perspective of reality that shapes our perception of truth. These Pharisees believed, had their perception of what a Messiah should look like and it wasn't Jesus. He didn't say what they thought he should say. He didn't do what they thought he should do, and so they ascribed his miracles to Satan. They branded him as a blasphemer. They saw Jesus as a threat to their status in the community, and his claim as king threatened their authority and their standing with Rome. So they had a blind spot to Jesus. They did not see him as the Messiah. There's a lot of people in our world today who have a blind spot to the biblical Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus Christ, they have this, this is a blind spot. They, hey, he's a good teacher, but not the savior of the world. Not the only way to God that Jesus clearly said he was. See, the Pharisees cannot see what Jesus is doing. He's doing it right in front of them. And it, it blows my mind that people can't see what Jesus is doing, but they can't. They've been blinded to reality Blind spots that keep us from seeing what God is doing. You know, we, We'll do some things here and I mean, powerful things. God do moving in mighty ways. People say, well, what do we do that for? Because God is moving. I don't see God moving. Let me give you a couple examples. Then they go, oh, okay. I didn't know that. I didn't see that. And the Pharisees could not see. They were leading the blind people into a ditch and into a pit. Let me say this very carefully this morning, that here in South Carolina, we are blessed in the United Methodist Church to have a strong bishop, Bishop Jonathan Holston, who has a clear vision for the United Methodist Church, one that he and I are in complete agreement with. But I'm amazed at how many of our bishops and leaders in the United Methodist Church cannot see the harm they're doing to the denomination. It simply amazes me. And one of the things that Bishop Host and I agree on completely is what is going on is spiritual warfare. That people's eyes are blinded to the truth and to the reality of the situation. I love what Helen Keller said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. To be able to see with your eyes but not with your soul. That I'm able to see what God is doing. Let me give you the reasons that's happening for religious blind spots, both for the Pharisees and leaders within the the church today, Big C church, all over the world. The first is error. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon that he gave in the late 1800s, speaks truth to me today. Don't follow leaders who are constantly tinkering with gospel truth in effort to keep in step with the times. Those are blind leaders leading the blind. Don't follow leaders who are constantly tinkering with gospel truth in an effort to keep in step with the times. I said in my sermon two weeks ago on wolves and sheep's clothing that the greatest danger to the church, and I got to share this statement with our former governor, Nikki Haley, last week, I said, Governor Haley, Ambassador Haley, I don't even know what to call her, but uh, sometimes I just say Nikki, right? The greatest danger to the church is not politicians. It is not platforms. It is not persecution, but pastors and prophets who preach a false gospel, who tinker with the truth to keep up with the times. We want to point fingers at everyone else but ourselves. We need to stay grounded in truth. 2 Timothy 4 says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth. Reject the truth and chase after myths. I can hear Billy Graham saying those words. Reject the truth, right? Right? Can't you hear him saying that? That is what's going on in our world today. The blind leading the blind off a cliff. Our good friend Bill Baltonite shared this story with me when I was telling him where I was going. Great storyteller, isn't he, Bill Baltonite? About the African-American preacher named Gardner C. Taylor who was beginning his ministry in Baton Rouge. Preaching one Sunday night in the midst of a thunderstorm when suddenly lightning struck and all the lights went out. Encased in darkness, a young tailor stood motionless, didn't know what to do. Church was dark. Finally, an elderly deacon yelled from the congregation, Preach on, preacher. We can see Jesus even in the dark. You see, Jesus expects us to keep preaching his word even in the darkness. You know, if you run from the darkness, then it gets darker. You're to speak light into the darkness. Speak truth into the darkness. Error, number two is ego. John Maxwell, a great teacher on leadership, says the number one blind spot for business leaders, number one blind spot, is singular perspective. Whenever it's my way or the highway, that's the Pharisees, right? It's my way or the highway, Jesus. If you don't agree with us, we're gonna crucify you. And they did, right? Bad leadership there. The others he talks about is insecurity, a blind spot, pride and legalism. Singular perspective. I know what I know, but I do not know what I do not know. <laughs> right? Singular perspective, how we see things. I love this story, old story of, at the end of World War II, a... In England, a general and his first lieutenant were gonna get on a train together. They get on the train and there are no seats left on the train except for two seats across from a beautiful young woman and her grandmother. And so the general and his first lieutenant sit down and they have some conversation. And after a short while, the train goes through a dark tunnel, 10 minutes of total darkness. And the train passengers hear two things. They hear a kiss and they hear a slap. They come out of the tunnel and into the light and the young woman is thrilled that the young soldier gave her a kiss, but she's appalled that her grandmother has slapped the soldier. The grandmother is appalled that the soldier would kiss her granddaughter, but she's thrilled that her granddaughter slapped the soldier. The general is kind of impressed that his young lieutenant would take that opportunity to kiss that beautiful young woman, but can't believe that the young woman slapped him. And the young soldier who really knew what happened was excited that he had kissed the young lady and had the chance to slap his general. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have a singular perspective, you don't really see what's going on. The 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 Pharisees were blinded by ego, they had to be right. They had to follow the rituals and the rules. John Maxwell said this if you're if the only tool you have is a hammer, you tend to see every problem as a nail. Isn't that true? If the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, every problem better be a nail. I tried to expand on that a little bit. If the only tool you have is the law, like the Pharisees, you tend to see everyone else as a lawbreaker. If your only tool is to have a policy, then, then you tend to see everybody else as a problem. If your only tool is to have political correctness, you only see your viewpoint. And if your only tool is wokeism, which is not even a word yet, you will weaponize your entitlement to condemn everybody that doesn't agree with you. You see, when we surround ourselves with only people that think the way we think, we become the blind leading the blind. Ego is when we're more concerned with being right, more concerned with being right than getting it right. A few years ago, we put together a building committee to build the new facility over here, five years, six years ago, and had a great committee builders, people that were engineers, etc. everybody, good, good committee. But the Lord laid on my heart to bring someone else on the committee. Thought about it, prayed about it. So I called this person. Hey, would you prayerfully consider being on the building committee? They gave me the best answer I've ever gotten. They said, well, I think I will because you have enough yes people on your committee. You need a no person on your committee. And trust me, for the next two and a half years, they made my life miserable <laughs> because they were pushing back on everything that needed, and I needed to, I needed to hear that because they wanted to get it right. And they was more concerned about getting it right than being right. Ego can get in the way and be a big blind spot for us. And then the last reason for religious blind spots and the biggest is evil. Make no mistake that evil is trying to create enormous blindness. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. And then in these words from Paul in 2 Corinthians, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, It is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. On this day weekend, which we have Memorial Weekend, we remember those who gave up their life We don't ever need to forget those who have been martyred for the faith because they stood up against darkness and they stood up against the evil one who would disrupt. We need to pray for evil spiritual strongholds to be broken down in the name of Jesus. Pray for spiritual blindness to fall like scales from blind eyes. That's exactly what happened when Saul was converted on the Damascus road. These words here from Acts 26 are when he's testifying about his conversion before King Agrippa. In verse 15, Saul says to Agrippa, I said to Jesus, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell the people that you, tell people that you have seen me, tell them that I will show you In the future, tell them what I will show you in the future and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. I want to be a pastor I want our staff to be a team that is, God is using to open the eyes of people, to turning from darkness to the light. And how do we do that? What's the remedy? Very quickly, it begins with the Holy Spirit. Point out to me, God, anything that offends you. Point out to me, Holy Spirit, why I'm wrong. It's a confession that I cannot do this on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to show me truth. In fact, one of the promises of the Holy Spirit is to teach us all things about Jesus. Secondly, we're going to need humility. I want, to, I want you to hear that. We got to lead with humility. We can't use truth as a, as a hammer. We got to do, give truth with grace and mercy. St. Augustine said this, these words, the blindness of humanity is so great that people are proud of their blindness. Don't you hear that today? People proud. No, they're blindness. That's a problem. If ego is the cause, we need to humble ourselves and ask, what am I missing? See, if you're going to be a great leader of people for God, you've got to be always asking, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Help me see the way. I also would just say to you, there, there are plenty of progressive false teachers in a secular culture, but don't become paranoid about all the false teachers you see because we serve a God who is sovereign. And our God will have the last word. Keep your focus on the truth because our God is sovereign. There needs to be a hunger to keep growing and keep learning to seek first the kingdom of God. Stay connected to the word of God. Stay connected to the word of God and you will be able to discern what is is wrong. And then help. We need accountability. We need people to hold us accountable. I need people to hold me accountable. One of the neat things we have is our sermon prep team. We write our sermons together. We, we collaborate together. We critique each other. I've already had three critiques this morning on the sermon I gave at 9 o'clock. I don't want to have blind spots. I don't want to be a blind leader leading blind people off the cliff. You know, aren't you thankful for these new cars that have sensors that tell us about blind spots? You know, I thought I was a pretty good driver until I got one of those cars, right? <laughs> you know? And, and my wife's car has that little thing, it comes in the mirror whenever there's somebody beside you that you can't see, you know? And she has that thing, if you cross the center line, it'll beep. I took it off because she can't tell me how bad I was. <laughs> Not really. We try to pay attention. But, but isn't it, as good as those things are, isn't it better to have somebody in the car with you? And Lynn and I, you know, you, anything coming, you're clear, you're clear, you're good. You sure? (laughs) I usually say, are you sure? But anyway, uh, but we need accountability. We need help, okay? I want you to hear these words in closing today. John 12, 44 through 47, the last scripture I'm gonna give you. Jesus shouted to the crowds. He's shouting to you today. If you trust me, do you trust him? If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. You will not find your help to navigate a dark world on on the news. You're not going to find your help to navigate a dark world on the internet. You're going to find the light you need in the person of Jesus Christ as revealed in Holy Scripture. We need to stay connected to the word of God in these trying times. Back when I was finishing high school and on my way to prepare for go to college, I had a good friend named Dave Cheeks. Dave was four years older than me and he had kind of taken me under his wing and discipled me as a young believer. We did Bible study together and prayed together, went out and spoke in churches together. And Dave said, Jeff, I think God's calling us to leave Kentucky for the summer and go work in Myrtle Beach. No place to stay no job, a car and a 10-speed bicycle. It was my bicycle. My, my friend said, you're crazy. That's the blind leading the blind. But you know, God was calling us to step out in faith, and there's such a thing as blind faith. And we stepped out in faith because we believed that God was clearly calling us to follow him. It was an amazing summer. God provided a free place to stay in Myrtle Beach for the whole summer. He gave us an incredible job. We got to share Christ with many, many people. We went back and started a singing group that traveled for the next four years around the Southeast. But most importantly, he led me to a relationship with my wife. We met, began to date, and that's why I'm in South Carolina. You see, you, you have to sometimes step out in faith, but you always step out following the lead of Jesus Christ. And he will open the doors that need to be opened. He will turn the darkness into light. Let me pray with you. Father God, I pray that today, that your light will shine in every heart in this room, everyone listening online. And Father God, that if we're walking in darkness, and we know what that means, we're stumbling, we're struggling, we're hurting, we're hurting other people, that you would give us the courage to open the door of our heart and invite you in and that you will show us the way to a new life. You will show us a purpose for our life. You will lead us in directions that we never thought possible. Father God, lead us now as we go forward. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Our team is gonna lead us in a great closing hymn. This hymn is all about truth. Truth. I thought it was about opening my eyes and open my ears and open my mouth, but it's about truth. Open my eyes that I may see truth. Open my ears that I may hear truth. And open my mouth that I may tell the truth. Let's stand and worship the Lord and, and, and commit ourselves to the truth of God's word.